We have been in a study now in the Gospel of Luke for a while. We'll continue in the Gospel of Luke for a while to come. I'm not really in a hurry. I I love this book a lot. Uh, I think it is really, really a blessing just to look at the life and the ministry of Jesus and to talk about the things that he did and that he encouraged his followers to do. So uh, even if we take a year, a year and a half, I don't know, however long to go through Luke, we'll do it. Last week we talked about the healing of a man who had leprosy. And his his illness made him somewhat of a social outcast as well. And if you recall, Jesus reached out and touched him and healed him. But he healed him not only physically, but he healed him emotionally and socially uh, and, and in any number of ways. So the presence of God, the healing touch of Jesus is really holistic in our life. Um, he, he has a desire to see our lives whole and full. And so that's... Uh, an important part of his kingdom and his kingdom coming into our lives. Uh, The kingdom of God really, really is that radical. It really is radical in that it transforms everything. And when we come into the presence of God's kingdom, it transforms everything. And when Jesus began his his ministry, uh, even in the first century, it was a radical departure from sort of the religious environment of the day. There was... You know, there were rabbis and temples and there was worship happening. Um, and there were, there was a, it was a very religious culture. And, and Jesus walked into that and really kind of tipped it upside down. It was a very, very different reality that happened. Um, one thing you notice uh, throughout the Gospel of Luke, this was true in our, our message last week, but it's pretty consistent throughout. Oftentimes... The, the religious leaders of the day are not happy with what Jesus does. They're offended by it. They get angry about it. I think at times they, they were confused. I, I could see at times some of the religious leaders of the day kind of wondering, what's this guy about? Um, But the other side of that coin is the outsiders, those that society had kind of deemed outsiders, sort of the marginalized people, lepers, uh, the poor, foreigners. uh, These folks were, in fact, being touched by Jesus and finding salvation, finding grace, finding forgiveness in him. So it it was radically different. Just when you thought... It couldn't get any worse. <laughs> Jesus uh, attends a party with a bunch of sinners. And if you want to put my uh, title slide up there, I'd like, thank you. Matthew's party is our title this morning. We're going to take a look at the next few verses in Luke chapter 5. But let's, uh, let's pray about it first. Lord, I do pray you would uh, enlighten the eyes of our heart this morning and open us up in such a way that we can really receive your word and hear from you and, and move forward in our relationship with you in a way that really reflects who you are and what you have for us. Amen. All right, let's look at verses uh, 27, 28. After this, Jesus, and this is after just the previous passage last week, the healing of the, the leper. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. And then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. 
Go one more. Uh, actually, no, go back. Stay right there. My bad. Uh, so so uh, one thing, just uh, parenthetically here, L- Levi is Matthew. So, so like Simon Peter, people often had two names uh, in the culture of the time. That was pretty common. So the person in the tax booth, Levi, is Matthew. The Ma- same Matthew that wrote the Gospel of Matthew talks about the kingdom of God. We, we love that. We read that. We look at him as a spiritual leader, one of the disciples. But before Matthew was one of the disciples, before he wrote the Gospel of Matthew, he was a tax collector. Now, uh, you remember previously, Jesus recruited Peter, James, and John to follow him. Peter, James, and John were fishermen. Being a fisherman is a very uh, honorable trade, right? Uh, People need fish, need food to eat. They would catch fish and they would sell them. And uh, that was a good thing. Matthew, conversely, is a tax collector. Luke wants us to know that. Tax collector was not uh, necessarily an honorable trade. Israel is under Roman rule and Roman occupation. So I want you to, I don't know, I have been in places, and I don't know if any of you have, we've not experienced it here, you would have to travel to experience this, but being in one country that's being occupied or ruled over by another country, and in, in those situations, there are very often armed guards stationed at different places around the city, and that would have been true in Israel at this time. There would have been Roman guards uh, stationed at different locations, and the good people of Israel were allowed to more or less go about their business as usual, but they were also obligated to follow the rules and laws that were dictated to them by the Roman government, and that was something that they were not super excited about, as you can imagine. So I want us to take a moment this morning and just sort of think what that would be like. And let's let's just... Think for a moment, what if our country were attacked by an outside force? I don't know. Let's say Canada. (laughs) So Canadians took over. Go ahead now. And there were Canadian guards on the corners stationed about town. You guys remember Dudley D, right? Okay, good. Yeah, only old people get that. It was the greatest cartoon ever. Um, but let's just pretend for a minute that we are under we are an occupied force and we are under the Canadian government and there are Canadian mounted police stationed around town and they are now requiring us to pay different forms of taxes on things that they deem it necessary for us to pay taxes on that we might not think are fair. Some of those taxes might be completely unfair. Some of them might be exorbitant. They're super high just because they say so. And let's say that the Canadian government then comes and enlists some folks to work for them, be in their employ, to now collect these taxes. So let's just say they recruit Kyle. So Kyle is now a tax collector. He's one of us. He's a local, but he's working for the government that's occupying us. He's a traitor, a Benedict Arnold. We don't like Kyle. 
we love Kyle, but and pretend we don't. And let's just say the Canadian government says, Kyle, you know what? This is how much money we need, but you can collect as much as you want. Take whatever you can get, and you get to keep the rest. And so Kyle is now getting rich off of us. We don't like Kyle. People didn't like Matthew. Matthew was not a, a liked person. Not, not a popular dude. One day Jesus walks by and he says, follow me. I, I think that's weird. Okay? From my perspective, it's odd because Jesus is building his team, right? Jesus is recruiting the guys that are going to go into ministry with him, that are going to help him advance his kingdom and spread the gospel and pray for people and do that stuff. And he recruits this guy that is a tax collector that people don't like and that's kind of dishonest. Now, the rabbis of that day also, you know, they had a, a process. There's, there is what's known as a rabbinical model of training. Rabbis would find a, a young apprentice, and they would take that person, and they would work with that person for a long period of time. And there were significant requirements. You had to be a, you know, have some spiritual reality to your life. You had to have some character in your life. There were some educational requirements required. Not anybody could just be a rabbi, but that wasn't the case with Jesus. He walks by this kind of unsavory dude in the tax booth and says, follow me. He doesn't seem to have a very high threshold for involvement. Not a lot of pre-qualification goes into following Jesus. Go ahead and hit the next uh, slide if you would. Verse 29, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why? Do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So at this great banquet that Matthew throws, there are uh, a large number, we're told, of tax collectors and people who, Luke is gracious, I don't know if you noticed in the earlier verse, Luke says others, the Pharisees just say sinners. They were sinners. And the Pharisees want to know why. Why, Jesus, do you and your followers hang out with these guys? And implied there is, we certainly wouldn't. We wouldn't associate with those people. Jesus responds really by saying this in essence. Well, the answer is, truthfully, we're all sinners. We're all sinners. There's an author I like, a guy named Leonard Sweet. He, he wrote a lot about sort of cultural shift and change and how the church response to those things, and uh, I got to hear him speak one time, and when he speaks, he always starts his message the same way. He comes out, and he greets everybody, and he goes, hello, saints, and everybody says, hello, Very, that's good, you guys are sharp, and then he says, hello, sinners, hello, and his point is very much that, yes, we're all saints, yes, we're all sinners, 
And that's the dichotomy of the kingdom. We're all in process of growing. Uh, no one is disconnected from either one of those realities. That's why we're following after Jesus. There is a concern I, I have, and I think it's a concern in the church at large today, that sometimes as Christians, we tend to isolate ourselves from those that we have identified as sinners. We don't want to associate with those kinds of people. We, we want to uh, hang out with other Christian people. We, 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 we really listen to Christian music and we, uh, you know, we read Christian books and we sort of uh, go to Christian coffee shops because it's safe. Uh, and, and, and sometimes there's a little kind of thing, you know, I don't really want to get dirty. I, I don't want to associate with those kinds of people. Might hear a cuss word. Um, I understand that, but here, here's my thing. That is not the pattern that Jesus established. That's not the example that Jesus set for us. Jesus went to this great party with a bunch of sinners. Jesus, I don't know if you've noticed this, but he did some kind of questionable things. His very first miracle was turning water to wine at a wedding. So the Jewish wedding is about a three-day affair, Okay. It's a big party. They have a lot of fun. And uh, just imagine that. Three-day party. And somewhere midstream they run out of wine. Oh no, we're out of wine. Somebody goes, hey, make a run. And uh, Jesus says, no, nah, I got it. And he turns water to wine. Weird, right? I think that's weird. Matthew throws a party. All of his questionable friends are there, and Jesus is right in the mix. There's a couple things here I think are valid for us, and one is that we need to be open to associating with people outside of our own sphere and be willing to stretch our boundaries a little bit and maybe take some time to be with people that we might otherwise not consider, you know, the right people to be with. But I think there's another thing that's important, and that is that kingdom living should be fun. I, I, I think it should be happy. I think there should be some joy involved. And it, it includes fellowship, and it includes uh, relationship, and I think it includes laughter. It includes having a good time together, uh, not being uptight. Would you go to the next slide? Anybody remember the church lady? Again, you had to be kind of old. Uh, but she was sort of the one that would say, well, you know, every time you do something, well, maybe it's Satan, you know, and, and she would sort of be uptight about people having a good time in church. But I, I really think that there is a, a detrimental effect to the advancement of the kingdom of God when the people of God are uptight and judgmental and joyless in their Christianity. And I think we need to consider that and just say, hey, it's okay to, to have fun, to laugh, to have a good time. There, there, here's a, there, there's a lot of pain in the world around us. 
There's a tremendous amount of pain in the world around us. There's a lot of need. There's a lot of poverty. There's a lot of hunger. There's a lot of sickness. Um, and, and our role as the church, as followers of Jesus, is to be his hands and feet. It, our role really is to address those needs, to feed those that are hungry, to pray for those that are sick, to care for those that are in need. But within that, I believe that we are also called to be able to have a good time and to not allow the plight of the world around us to steal the joy from our own hearts. Is that okay? Is that fair? Um, We do not have to feel guilty for having a good time because others cannot. And I realize that sometimes that's a challenge for us because we're compassionate people, but it's the reality that we have to walk in. It really is the paradox of the kingdom of God that I can have joy and I can gather with friends and I can laugh and I can have fun and I can have a good time and at the same time know that there, there is suffering and pain and sickness in the world. We were, uh, Donna and I got to be in, in Chicago this week. Chicago is a really fun city and I was there for a meeting with the Vineyard missions leadership team. And our missions leadership team represents uh, people who work uh, in vineyard church planting in every region of the world. So there are people there that travel to uh, the Middle East and to Africa and to Asia and, uh, you know, see poverty and see struggles and see challenging things. I particularly work in Central America and Mexico, Latin America, and I have been uh, there a few times. I've been to some places that I've seen things that are not easy to see. You know, this past year I've been in Nicaragua and Honduras. This coming summer I'll be in El Salvador. And uh, on some of those trips, you see horrible things. It's very common there Uh, to see a child. And when I say a child, I mean a four or five-year-old, a tiny, small child, standing on the island in the middle of the intersection of a very, very busy street. Just picture, you know, 99 or something, and it's 11 o'clock at night, and there's a five-year-old child standing on the island in the middle of the street begging by themselves. There's no adult around. And you go by, and if you ask yourself, I ask myself, in what world is that okay? But the reality is, in this world, it's okay, because there they are. I uh, have met people who live in the dump, and who scavenge through the refuse at the dump for a living. That's what they do for a living. And, you know, have you ever met somebody? um, Have you ever met somebody who's never traveled outside their hometown? They've They've been wherever they were born, they lived, they grew up there. They've only ever been there. They've never gone outside their hometown. You go, wow, that's weird. I've met people who've never been outside the dump. It's weird. We're in Managua, you're driving. Managua's a poor city, but it's a big city. And then you go to the dump, and there's people in there that have never been outside of the dump. It's heartbreaking. And as 
compassionate as we are, we cannot feel guilty for not being that person and living the life that we live that God's given us. And we cannot also try to fix everything and not enjoy the life we have and be able to be free and be with our friends in the midst of pain and sickness and poverty in the world. We can be compassionate without being solemn. We can be compassionate without being critical. We can be compassionate without being judgmental. Jesus was the most compassionate person that ever lived, and yet he took time to be with his friends, and he went to a party, and he is our example. And the beauty, the beauty of the kingdom of God is this, and here, here, here's, if we truly do want to follow God, and if we pray and we listen, he will, he will show you one little slice of the world that you can take responsibility for. And he can say, here, I have this for you to do. And maybe, maybe you sponsor a child. And, and so you have a sponsorship and you send your $49 a month or whatever it is. And you have the child's picture in your refrigerator. And you pay for, pray for that child. And you write letters. And that's all you can do. But that's what you do. Then, 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 then that's okay if that's what God gives you. I'll tell you what's not okay. What's not okay is to not do anything. I think we pray and we ask God, what do you have for me? But then whatever God gives you, be okay with that. This is my job. And if I change the world for that young man or that young woman, then that's it. That's what God's given me. Maybe it's more than that. Maybe you get connected to an organization like Dora Faith or some other organization and you support them. Maybe, maybe something else. Maybe you serve on a local basis. Maybe your heart is you serve here in our food pantry. Week after week you come and you serve and you care for those people. Whatever it is God gives you, that little slice of humanity that he asks you to take care of, then you take care of that, but you cannot feel guilty about the rest. And, and I'll, I'll, I will give you a warning, though. <laughs> the warning is, if you do a good job, he'll give you a little bit more. Fourteen years ago, my friend Roy Conwell tricked me into leading the Nicaragua Partnership. I was going to say he asked me to leave the Nicaragua partnership, but that's really a lie. The, the truth is he tricked me into it. And I started leading that partnership, and, and uh, God blessed it, and over time we were able to develop it into one of the most successful partnerships in Vineyard Missions. And because of that, God expanded my territory and said, now you've done a good job here with this little slice. I'm going to give you a bigger slice, and I want you to take on Central America and Mexico. But that's how it works. I, I only share that to say that's how it works. Whatever your little slice is, if you, do, if you do well, you take care of that slice. God may multiply that and give you more. Um, we're, you know, Jesus said, be faithful in the small things. And we're faithful with whatever little bit he gives us, and we trust that he'll take care of the rest. And, and if he has more for us and he wants more for us, he'll let us know. And that, that really is the economy of the kingdom. That's the economy of the kingdom of God. God will bless us so that we then are able to bless others. And if we bless others, then you know what God will do? He'll give us more to bless us more that we might then have more to bless others. The Pharisees were not happy. Jesus was hanging out with sinners. 
And things got a little messy at times. The Pharisees didn't like messy. Jesus didn't seem to mind. He was okay if things got a little messy. Matthew was a wealthy tax collector. He threw a big party. Good food. Good wine. No two-buck chuck at Matthew's party. And many of his guests were people that the religious leaders of the day would not have associated with. So here's this party. There's a lot of tax collectors and other unsavory characters there. Jesus shows up and he brings his friends along. So he's got a few fishermen and maybe another tax collector or two, random prostitute. What a mess. What a mess. It's a lot of questions. I have a lot of questions about the kingdom of God. Jesus is at this party enjoying food and wine bought by money made unethically. I have questions about that. Sometimes the kingdom of God is messy. Sometimes there aren't answers to our questions. And we could choose to be a little uptight about the mess, or we could choose to enter in to the party. Jesus made relationship with those people, and many of them ended up following him. He went, he hung out, and he recruited them to come with him. And I would, I would add, their lives were changed. So Matthew, that was that guy, became the guy that wrote the Gospel of Matthew. And it can be easy for us at times, I think, to point out sort of some of the messy problems in the world and in the lives of other people. We can say, well, that guy does this, or this person's, you know, that kind of person, and some of that. But I guess the question Jesus might ask at that moment is, are we really any different than anybody else. I think Len Sweet was pretty accurate. Hello, saints. Hello, sinners. It's not our role as followers of Jesus to fix anybody, really. Our role is to follow Jesus. And to say to others, hey, you could follow Jesus too. It's interesting to me that if a person starts following Jesus some of the mess in their life just sort of seems to go away. They don't necessarily even have to try real hard. It just sort of seems to go away. Jesus saw this tax collector sitting in his booth collecting taxes, and he said, follow me. Self-sacrificial love and joy are really earmarks of the kingdom of God. And I believe those are things that God wants to impart to us today is self-sacrificial love and joy. If you guys would come up, I want to, um, here's what I like to do. We'll worship for a couple more minutes. But as we do, I'd like to kind of set up ministry now by saying, um, I, I want you to just sort of consider your own life and ask a couple questions. One is, is, is am I really... Do I have joy in my own life? Is, have I been 
Have I allowed the things of the world to rob the joy in my own heart? And if so, ask God to restore that. And if there's anything that maybe you have placed as a, as a blockade, ask God to remove that. I also think some of us have been labeled. I find it really interesting that in, in writing this, that in verse 29, when Luke describes the group of people at Matthew's party, he calls them others. And in verse 30, when he quotes the Pharisees describing the same group of people, they call them sinners. And I think some of us have been labeled, and we've allowed others to put labels on our lives. And if you have walked under the weight of that, I believe the Spirit of God would want to set you free from any of that today as well. 